and welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. This is your host, Yavitz Djurjevic, and today I've got Chad King with me. Chad, uh, for folks who don't know who you are, give uh, give the listeners a 10,000-foot view. Yeah, awesome. Great to be here. Looking forward to the conversation, Yavitz. Uh, so my name is Chad King, and I am a, a sales and negotiations coach and trainer. Uh, I specifically focus on real estate investing, so I coach people on how to buy investment properties. And then I also have a company called Titan Capital Group, which acquires multifamily apartment complexes. So that's where I'm at right now uh, in my journey. That's awesome. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is obviously your background, like you said, in sales and negotiations training. But the other thing is you're a young guy. And you've broken into the real estate investing world, which a lot of people think when they think about, oh man, let me go buy an apartment complex or let me get into flipping. Or they think I need to be older. I need to have a whole bunch of capital. I need to have a whole bunch of experience. And it seems incredibly daunting. And you've managed to uh, be incredibly successful, uh, quite frankly, starting off in a very niche space in real estate uh, and then grown from there. So I'm really excited to just explore that story. So, um, Give us a little bit of background. Let's let's go back a couple of years. You before you got into real estate, what what were you like in college? What happened after college? What 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 really uh, pushed you in the trajectory of of where you are today? Yeah, uh, a great question. I mean, it, you know, my story really does start right after college. I, I got a degree in in finance. Um, I wanted to learn about money. I realized in you know the people that were in control had the money. The people that were doing what they wanted to, they had money. So I, I got obsessed with studying the subject of money which is why I got a degree in, in finance uh, from Florida State University and quickly realized, you know, after I got out of school that, you know, that that degree and many other college degrees actually don't give you the real information that you need um, when it comes to how money actually works, right? It teaches you, a degree teaches you how to read somebody else's balance sheet, how to read somebody else's financial statement, but it doesn't teach you, you know, what's an asset, what's a liability, how do you acquire assets, what's good debt, what's the difference between good debt and bad debt, and all that, all that stuff that really it takes to become an entrepreneur and grow your own business, and that's real financial literacy. So, after I got out of of, of that, I, I went into a job at Xerox uh, selling copiers door to door. That was out of college, because what I realized was, you know, I needed to figure out how to make money first, and then you figure out how to keep it and then multiply it. But I'm sure we'll get to that later. Um, so I need to figure out how to make money. I realized that good salespeople were able to write their own checks. So if you're able to sell. Um, and let me just, let me just caveat that by saying everybody is in the sales role, right? Life mm -hmm. is selling, right? Anything you want is a commission and you need to know how to sell, um, whether your title is salesperson or not. So I, I got in, I got into the sales at Xerox and then ultimately worked my way up the corporate ladder, um, wanting to get out of the W2 rat race, um, in the, in, in that industry and was studying successful people simultaneously while selling copiers and realized that a lot of people had real estate. All these successful people, I saw that commonality in real estate. Um, it seemed like it was the way that people were preserving wealth, creating wealth, multiplying money. And so I, I hopped in. I, I was—I uh, have a commit first, kind of figure it out mentality. So I quit my quit my W two job, got into real estate, stumbled a tremendous amount in the beginning, and then ultimately, you know, found found a path through wholesaling and fixing and flipping homes. That led to uh, some successful partnerships and ultimately doing just shy of 170 deals last year in the wholesale fix and flip space. And then um, 
that bridged into creating longer term wealth, which is where the multifamily apartments come from. So that was sort of the journey. I mean, you, we can we can dive into different parts and how the feelings were at different parts in the journey, but that's that's really where it all started. I love the commit first, figure it out later. Has that ever uh, bit you in the butt? No. <laughs> it, it because will. that's what people are afraid of. They, they're afraid of. <laughs> it's true. It, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, and that's why I asked that question because people yeah. want to be an expert at something before they start. Yeah, that's not how it works. I mean, you got to jump off and then you, you build you build the plane on the way down. In my opinion, uh, you know, in, in in this, you know, quitting your job cold turkey, I don't recommend it to everybody. But at the end of the day, I mean, sometimes these if you're if you're interested, there's a huge difference in being interested and being committed. And a lot of people are interested. And when people are interested, they tend to fall back on the safe route, the route that's less risky, the route, the route of less uncertainty, and they tend to fall back on that. But when you're committed and you have courage and grit, that's all it takes. You know, you were talking about people who are hesitant because they don't have money or anything like that. It doesn't take money. It just takes courage. And then you got to have some grit. That's so interesting. So I do want to follow up on selling copiers for Xerox. So what mm-hmm. year is this? So I was selling copiers uh, 20, 2015, 2014, 2015, 2016, got into real estate 2017. Okay. So, so when you tell me you're selling copiers door to door for Xerox, I'm thinking like 1985. Who the hell's buying copiers in 2015? <laughs> well, you know, you have to find the people who are buying them. Yeah. I found that uh, it's it's a tough product to sell, man. It is. It's kind of grind your teeth sales. You know, I remember going to the top of the office buildings, and I was in Fort Lauderdale at the time, and just going to the top of the office buildings and uh, working my way down, just knocking on doors, working my way down, trying to trying to add some people to the pipeline. Uh, the interesting part is, you know, what people don't realize at Xerox is we have machines that are about sixty to seventy thousand dollars plus, and so I I started realizing that. It took almost the same amount of energy and effort to sell a $70,000 color press production machine than it did to just sell a little office copier. So I started selling bigger stuff, which was pretty cool. And a lot of people are are buying that that bigger stuff, marketing companies and and places like that. Interesting. Okay. That's fascinating. So so you quit cold turkey, which again, Mm -hmm. not necessarily recommended for everybody, but it worked out for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you had immediate success like next week, right? Absolutely not. So the success took a, a very long time. There was a lot of stumbles, uh, a lot of failures, a lot of uh, trying things that didn't work, a lot of wasted marketing dollars, wasted money. Um, no, it was it was quite a struggle. You know, my wife and I were, or she was my fiance at the time because I committed. I quit my job, and two weeks later, I also proposed to her because I've that's that's how much I'm, I love the commit first, figure it out later mentality, um, and. We struggled a lot in the beginning, just trying things and figuring things out. And looking back, you know, I, I there's definitely some things I should have done differently, including you know hiring a coach or a mentor um, to just show me the path instead of trying to bang my head against the wall and, and stumble along the way. But ultimately, it was probably about nine to ten months of really just grinding and figuring it out before we actually started to see some real traction in the business. Okay, so. And the way you you gained the traction. So I want to take a step back to something you said earlier. You built your initial real estate success and wholesaling and fixing and flipping. So most people know what fix and flip is. You go buy a property, you uh, add value to it, and then you sell it to the end user. However, most most people have absolutely no idea what wholesaling is in real estate. So Mm -hmm. explain 
you know, in the simplest way possible, what wholesaling is. Uh, wholesaling is a great way to get into real estate. It is the art of putting a property under contract. Uh, usually that either the property or the seller is in some sort of distress. So you're able to buy it at a discount. You're putting a property under contract and then you're assigning your rights to close on that property to an end buyer for a fee. And it's a great way to, a lot of people get into real estate because you don't actually need the money to close on the deal, but you're basically putting something under contract and then selling that contract for a fee to another buyer that's going to close on that property. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that that's how most flippers get their properties is they buy them from a wholesaler. Correct. Because because the wholesaler is putting in the, gr- the, the grunt work of finding the property, contacting the owner, negotiating the deal, et cetera, et cetera. So to put it into just simple numbers, let's say you go um, and find a property and you know that this property after it's fixed up and ready to go and be sold to a family with the kids and the dog is going to be, you can sell for 200,000, mm-hmm. but you, you find a distressed owner. Maybe they have a lien against the property. Maybe they're going through a divorce, whatever. They just need to get rid of it as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. And you get it under contract for 80. So they're willing to sell it to you for 80. Mm-hmm. And then you take that contract and you go find a flipper and sell it to them for a hundred, essentially right. the rights to the contract. They put in 40 grand um, so they're in all 140 and then they flip it for 200, they make 60. Yeah. There's some costs and stuff that they're going to occur, you know, closing costs when they buy it, closing yeah. costs when they sell it. But essentially, yes, that's, that's exactly what we do. Yeah. Real, 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 real simple, mm-hmm. uh, math there guys. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason you get paid that is because again, you put in the groundwork and, and the grunt work of finding the property. Most flippers are really good at flipping properties. They're not necessarily good at finding the actual properties. Yeah. It's a, it's a different business. I mean, it's like to, to find deals is it's an entire business in and of itself. And if you're a flipper, right, and you want to flip a house, you need to find you need to have a deal ready to flip. And that's what we do is we provide those deals. And 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 some people ask, well, why don't you just flip them yourself? Well, you know, our business model, we did 170 deals last year with Blackjack Real Estate, the company that I'm a part of. And my thing is, is we can, I'd rather make a dime and let you make a quarter because I can make 10 dimes in the time it takes you to make two quarters. And you're going to come back to me when you need to make another quarter, you're going to come back and buy another one of the properties. So, you know, that, that's a little analogy there. Like I'm not going to trip over, you know, I, I would rather make the dimes than, than, than wait and make the quarters. Cause I can make more in a, in a shorter amount of time. Yeah. It's a volume business and Correct. it's, you know, you don't, when you're a flipper, when you're an investor, you have so much other stuff to, to manage the, the contractors, the schedule, the, whatever it may be the, the realtor. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last thing you want to do is add on another segment of, oh, let me go find the deal. And the other thing is these people have capital. So whenever their capital is not not at work, that's dead capital. So they're always looking for places to put their money. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. you're essentially just working as the intermediary between the distressed homeowner and the investor. Yep. And, and, and you're, you get the fee in the middle. Sure. We're problem solvers. I mean, you know, some people, uh, they, they scoff at the wholesaling business sometimes because they think that, but at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're, we're solving problems here. Like we, we create happy sellers. We create happy buyers. We create, you know, we, these sellers, when they come at the closing table, like they are extremely happy to get out of this situation by the solution that we provided, right? Ease of transaction, quick closes, creative solutions like escrow holdbacks, allowing them to stay in the property. Like we provide all of those unique solutions to create a happy seller. And then what we do is we provide a deal to a buyer that he's going to make money on and create a happy buyer. So 
um, you know, he's not going to buy the deal if there's not enough meat on the bone for him to make money either. So we're creating, you know, win-win solutions for everybody in this space. So, so what are some of these problems? Give us a couple of examples. Yeah. I mean, it can be anyone from someone who's inherited a property, someone who's in pre-foreclosure, somebody who, uh, you, you mentioned divorce, somebody who has a ton of repairs that are needed on the property and they don't want to fix it up. Uh, and they're willing to trade a little bit of equity for ease of transaction and to not have to put money into it. You know, we're not targeting 90% of people who are going to sell their property, maybe even 95% are going to put make their house look all pretty. They're going to get a realtor. They're going to put a sign in the yard and they're going to try and sell it for as much as possible. We're not playing in that 90% space. We're playing in the five to 10% that just want to trade some of the equity that they have and, and get out of the property. Um, and they're, they're happy to leave some money on the table. They know what they're doing to, for some other reasons, which are the problems that we solve. Like, and, and the, some of the ones that I mentioned there, the, the, the signs of distress and whether it's that the house doesn't necessarily need to be caving in. Like it can be personal distress that they're going through that we're able to help them out of. Yeah. And that's, well, you, you mentioned the example of foreclosure, for example. So foreclosure, foreclosure is terrible to go on your credit. Man, it's absolutely devastating. Good luck buying another house. So if somebody's in pre-foreclosure and you can help them get rid of that house, pay off the mortgage that they're behind on, you know, you're saving their credit from being devastated so they can go get another house in a year or two. 100%. Yeah. yeah we're, so, so, we're so they're trading people. equity. They're trading equity for saving their credit because they're, the bank's coming for the, for the house, no matter what. Absolutely. You know, we've had situations where I've had a situation where a seller has called us you know, five days before the auction, and we were able to mobilize, pay off the back payments of the mortgage that they were in arrears, and take it over subject to, and keep them out of keep them out of that foreclosure, and prevent them from their house going to auction. You know, we're able to mobilize very quickly and provide these solutions to help these people. It's a fun it's a fun business, and we get to help people, and you know, we do make money as well. But I love the helping people aspect of it. You know, that's that's the most rewarding part is when somebody calls us and they're they genuinely our solution can genuinely help them out of a jam. Like I love that part of it. So you mentioned you also got into the fix and flip game. So what led you into fixing and flipping as well? Yeah. So we, um, you know, when some, we, we buy some of these properties that are, you know, maybe not huge renovations uh, and they, they need a little bit of less work and we're able to take those properties down. And like, I'm a licensed agent in a, a couple of States as well. So, you know, we're able to take those properties down and put a little bit of work into them and sell them. Uh, the ones that have, you know, are, are not like tremendous flips. So we're not in the business of gutting a house or taking a house down to the studs and restructuring a layout and all that stuff. Some of the, some of these flippers are just incredible with what they can do. We like to focus on, you know, if we're going to flip something, it's going to be a lighter project, a lighter renovation, and just go in, put some lipstick on it, fix up some, fix up some minor details and then put it on the market. So our flips are light. They're, they're called pretty much wholetails is what they're, they're named, but they're lighter flips. Okay. So you mentioned something earlier when you got your degree in finance, they didn't teach you how money works, which is an interesting statement. So, so how does money work? Oh, that's a great question, man. That's uh, the answer is the answer is so philosophical and you can answer it in many ways. I would say that money is a currency that is meant to flow. Money is number one, it's fake. So everybody needs to know that. Like it is in the, in the 1970s, Richard Nixon took it off the gold standard and they started printing trillions and trillions of dollars. So money is not it, the actual paper that you're carrying around is not real. Okay. Once you, once you realize that you will, you will start to look at it a little bit differently. 
money should be used to invest first in yourself in order to make yourself more valuable. And then it should be used to invest in assets that appreciate and pay you. Uh, but it, do, it is meant to be spent. If you are, if people are hoarding their money and like keeping it in a savings account and trying to save up a nest egg, I think that's a tremendous mistake. Um, the principles that were taught about money are, are quite antiquated, especially that the principles that are rampant through the education system that you should save your money and put it into a 401k and, you know, give it to somebody else and, uh, give it to the, put it in the stock market, let somebody else have control over it. Uh, I, I don't believe that that, I, I don't believe those mantras. And I think that money is a currency that is meant to flow and you should be using it um, to make progress for yourself and then make progress for your business and then ultimately purchase assets that are going to pay you and create wealth and generational wealth for your family. Yeah, I like what you said there about money is is meant to flow. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important part is when money is just stagnant in a place, it just loses its its value in that sense. Because like you said, it's it's not real. I mean, let's think about it. In the last six months, we've printed how many trillions of dollars for these stimulus funds? And it's fine. That's necessary. But that's going to come with the cost of inflation. So mm-hmm. that money is going to buy less and less as time goes on. So I, I'm, I'm glad you answered it in that way. Because as soon as I asked that question, I started thinking like, crap, what, what will my answer be, <laughs> be there? <laughs> it's a deep question, man. I mean, there's so many there's so many rabbit holes that we could go down when it comes to money. It's a very deep question. You know, how does money work? It works to the extent of how you understand it. You know, if you don't mm-hmm. understand how it works, man, you're going to be you're going to be this uh, in this antiquated saver hoarder mentality, and uh, it's that's a that's a trap. And you you got to you can't your list to your listeners like don't don't get caught in the trap of you know thinking that you need to save, save your money and put it into wall street and plan for the long term. like spend your money now to invest in yourself. And when I say spend your money now, I don't mean go out and buy liabilities and shoes and cars and stuff. I mean, spend that money now, invest in yourself, make yourself more valuable so you can go out and earn more money. And then now when you've started to accumulate more and more, now we can talk about acquiring assets and investing, um, in things that you can control. Yeah. And the reality of the situation is let's, let's use real estate as an example. You said, you know, don't be a hoarder. Don't, don't, you know, scrimp and set it aside, mm-hmm. but it's more about a mindset shift because if I go out and just keep buying real estate properties, that's me hoarding real estate properties. It's just that those are properties that are an actual real thing with actual value behind them. That's, that's correct. I mean, when I say don't be a hoarder, you can hoard real estate. I would hoard real estate. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a little different because real estate is, you can see it, touch it, feel it. It is real. That's why I like it, you know, personally. And, and listen, I have friends that are in the stock market. I have friends that make money in the stock market. I have friends that are do Bitcoin and all other investment vehicles. I'm not, I'm not bashing any other types of investments or I'm saying like, you need to be in real estate. I'm saying I'm not a particularly smart guy. Yeah. But so I'm not, I'm not a super genius. I understand real estate. I like that. I can go touch it. I can go feel it. I can see it. I can smell it. I understand it. I understand the valuations of it. And when I talk about hoarding real estate, when you're buying these this, this, these assets, what they're doing is they're cash flowing while you own them. They're appreciating in value. They give you tax benefits in the years that you own them. And the tenants or the the the, the residents are paying down the debt that you get to acquire the property so you can scale and grow more. And when you combine and look at those benefits, uh, I, I understand that. And that's why it's my chosen vehicle for investments. 
So that's obviously such a paradigm shift from what everybody's taught about money, about wealth, about how to build wealth, et cetera. So, you know, you at such a young age, was there a specific moment? Was there a book? Was there a podcast? Was there a mentor? Like what triggered you into that direction? Mm, Great question. If your listeners haven't read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think that that is really a book that flips a switch for a lot of people. Uh, The author is Robert Kiyosaki. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with the book. When you read that and you actually think about what the guy is saying, like it, it, it does flip a little bit of a switch for you when it comes to the difference between assets and liabilities, like understanding that your home is not an asset, right? And, it, and that's something that's taught to you from a young age, like a, buy a house, your house is an asset. Well, it's not if you follow the money. So that book uh, flipped a switch for me early on. And I read that while I was at Xerox. And it's funny, Robert Kiyosaki actually started at Xerox as well. And then I was studying a guy by the name of Grant Cardone. And your listeners, I don't know if they're familiar with him, but uh, he's got you know like 1.5 billion in assets under management from an apartment standpoint, and he has a sales. He's like a sales coach, uh, trainer, and I was studying that guy as well. And I'm big on mentors, uh, books, mentors. You know, study the the blueprints that have worked, and just go ahead and follow that path. There's no sense in trying to recreate the wheel. Um, so you, you know, going back to your question about what sparked it, it was just studying successful people and reading books. And then just applying the information. Yeah. So if, if people listening have not listened to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, as much as I've beat that damn book into the ground, <laughs> like every other podcast, I'm very disappointed yeah. in you folks. Go, you know, go buy the book. Uh, it's it, the mass, the mass uh, paperback version is literally like $4.50 on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, you can get it, you know, anyway. But what's really interesting. So I know you talked about, and let's go back to the finance degree. Something really interesting to me about, the finance degree. Okay. So I was an economics degree, which is a little bit different than finance. Um, I would argue that economics actually teaches you to think, uh, finance teaches you to think, you know, somebody else has already thought. So just Mm -hmm. fill in the numbers. What's really interesting to me is essentially a finance degree from college is a corporate finance degree. Correct. The number one thing they teach you is managing cash flow and how to increase cash flow for a corporation. Mm -hmm. Yet in all personal finance, it's not about cash flow. It's about it's about accumulation, mm-hmm. which is such an interesting paradigm shift. Once you switch over to the cash flow mindset, once you switch over to start thinking, okay, how can I actually create money coming in without me having to work for it? Instead of me just like building up, building up, building up, and then being like, oh man, look at all this money that I have, but it's not doing anything for you. And yes, blah blah blah. You can turn a large net worth into cash flow, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. That's fine, but I just don't think it's efficient. Um, yeah. 100%. So was, was there a moment where, you know, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and you start thinking a little bit differently? Was was there some cognitive dissonance you had to fight from all the education and, and the things you had learned beforehand that you basically had to unteach yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the hard, that's one of the hardest parts is the unbelief that you have to admit that some of the stuff that you have ingrained in your conscious or subconscious is wrong. And that, that, yeah, it said is, is one of the hardest parts that of people to, to get over the hump is they have to realize that, man, I need to, I need to, I got the wrong information. I, I need to get, I get, need to get new information because this information is, is passed down from generation to generation. It's the wrong stuff. And that, that disbelief is something that you have to address because you cannot read rich dad, poor dad, and let that soak in and then start thinking the way we think about money. If you still have this scarcity mindset and you still are, you know, 
fearful of money. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? That disbelief is, is, is critical. And what was your, so what was your question? I, I, I was, I was targeting the disbelief thing because it was resonating. I was just saying, how hard was it to, to get through the cognitive dissidence of, of basically having to unteach yourself what you've been taught? Um, what you, I mean, you answered to a degree as fighting that disbelief is the hardest part. Yeah. And when you see it, I mean, when you, when you read and study more and more successful people and you open yourself up to new information and you say, you know what, I'm going to wipe the slate clean when it comes to this subject of money. I'm not going to listen to, you know, what the education system taught me. I'm not going to listen to what, what was maybe handed down by, uh, your, your parents or grandparents. And I'm going to, I'm going to think for myself and I'm going to study the people who have a lot of money and see what they say about it. And when you wipe that slate clean and then you start reaching out and looking at the people who actually have it and studying what they say about it, how they think about it, how they use it, it's, it's, it's a game changer because they're using, they look at money differently. The, the people that have the money look at money a lot differently. And you know, what you were alluding to earlier was you know, adding and accumulating. And what you're talking about is you know, the people who have money, they have streams and you have to figure out how to add streams of income. And when you add streams, those eventually flow into the river. And unfortunately, most of Americans, I think the statistic is almost 80% live paycheck to paycheck. And most of them only have one stream, their W-2 job. And that's scary. That's a scary place to be because what happens when an external virus that you have no control over comes in and just puts 40 million people out of work and their mainstream, in, in most cases, their only stream is now gone. That's a dangerous place to put yourself. So- mm-hmm. What school and traditional education doesn't teach you is how to add streams of income for yourself that now flow into this one river. And now that's all we're focused on. Like all my wife and I are focused on is adding streams. How can we add flows into our river? And we stay under our umbrella. We stay under real estate. Like I'm not, I'm not starting a restaurant. I'm not doing other things. I'm not chasing shiny red balls. Like I'm sticking to, you know, my real estate space and only adding businesses underneath that umbrella. And that's what we're doing right now. So, so what are some of these streams you're creating? Give us some examples. Yeah. So I have, you know, a stream from the wholesale fix and flip company, Blackjack Real Estate that, you know, gets commissions on these deals. I have a stream from um, many clients that I'm coaching on the sales side of things. Um, I have a stream from a couple different mastermind groups, which I'm a part of, and I'm a coach in those mastermind groups. Um, I have streams from each one of my real estate assets. So every time I buy a new asset, that creates a stream of of cash flow. Um, you know, I sell a, I sell online products and a course that I created through my experience in real estate, and that's a stream of income. And so there's there's a lot like that, but it's all underneath that real estate umbrella. I mean, they all feed each other, and there's a lot of synergy between my streams. Like you know, my coaching business is the stream from me coaching the clients in these mastermind groups and doing the personal coaching, you know, feeds that coaching business. And then all of the income from the coaching businesses feed the apartment complex uh, company that buys apartments. So they all feed each other and there's a lot of synergy between those streams. So how did you start up the apartment complex company? Cause that's obviously that, I mean, that's a massive jump from, Hey, let me go put, you know, single family homes under contract and flip them to an investor to, Hey, let me go buy a, a hundred unit or whatever uh, apartment yeah. complex. Well, you know, if you look at the past, uh, and I, I was, I started, obviously started in single family and I saw that, you know, there were guys that were acquiring, you know, rentals and that was how they were going to become financially free. And, 
is buying single family rentals. And ultimately, I, I kept following those people's journeys. And it seemed like the end game was always apartments because, and here's why, would you rather have 50 different houses with 50 different roofs, 50 different yards, 50 different water meters, 50 different electric meters, and have to worry about 50 different properties? Or would you rather have one property with 50 different doors? The one and property. The one property, right? It's it's almost a no-brainer. And so I decided to skip the accumulation of single-family homes, which ultimately leads to selling that and getting into something like an apartment complex anyway, and just go right into the apartment complexes. So, I mean, was there a level of intimidation with that that you felt? Sure. I, I, I'd say there was, you know, there's, there's always that self-defeating voice in your head that says, you know, who are you to do this? Or, you know, what, what makes you think you're able to, to do this kind of stuff? Uh, that, that's going to be anywhere, man. That's, that's going to be with anything you do, no matter how big or small, but you are only limited by the beliefs that you allow in your head and you can't avoid the, 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 the talk, but you can certainly not listen to it. So that self-talk is going to creep in, but whether or not you let it overtake you or whether or not you take action, the other direction is, is completely up to you. So are you focusing on just buying these apartments on your own? Are you syndicating? What's the strategy? Sure. Great question. So we, we bought a lot of the, the smaller stuff when we started buying, we bought on our own. So I have a, a couple partners in my, the Titan capital group, which is the apartment company. And we bought, you know, the first deal we bought was a little 14 unit. Uh, we still own that one. It's a great deal. The second deal we bought was a 21 unit. Uh, we did a huge, huge renovation on that property. Uh, it was a great deal. We, we, we took those one, took those da- deals down in house and now we're starting to do larger deals. So we have, um, the, the next deal was a 65 unit and then a 49 unit to which we both did 506 B syndications and raised money. Um, we found that, you know, bigger deals are, are no different. They're just, they just have an extra zero on them. Right. And it's not yeah. that, it's not that much difficult. And when you have a deal, it's the same as single family. When you have a deal, the money will come. Like if you have a good deal on the wholesale side of things, the buyers will come. Um, and if you have a good deal in, in multifamily apartments, the money will come to fund it. So we realized that, Hey, let's not be limited by our own capital and have to be forced to buy smaller stuff that we can only afford. Like let's, let's get into this syndication space and, and raise money for these deals you know, last week alone, we raised 1.6 million last week for uh, two deals that we have under contract. So it's just, you can, it, it seems intimidating, but once you get into it, you, you'll figure it out. If you have the commitment, people are doing it. So, so let's, I want you to elaborate more on a statement you just made. If you find the deal, the money will come. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are intimidated by real estate because of the money factor. Explain what you mean by if you find the deal, the money will come. Yeah. You know, I, I definitely think we talk about those limiting beliefs and that's definitely one of them. Hey, I don't have the money to buy these properties. Listen, when I first started in this space, like I was selling stuff around my little, the little duplex that my wife and I lived in. I was selling stuff around that just to make sure the car payment got made and it didn't get repossessed. I didn't have a dollar to my name. I had credit card debt up to my eyeballs, but I knew what I was doing, um, it didn't require you know, putting those properties under contract and selling them for a fee didn't require capital. And what I, I'm telling you that to just tell you that I've been in that space for those who have that, that belief, like I've been there and ultimately it's, it is, it's in your own head that you need the money to do this. 
because there is so much money. It's in abundance. We talked about it in the beginning of the podcast. Like it's in a, it's an abundance on this planet and there's so much money out there if you can find a good deal and your ability to sell network, talk to people is going to determine how much of that money you can actually accumulate for your deals. If you find a deal that has meat on the bone, I'm telling you, you can go to a you can go to your local real estate meetup. You can go into a Facebook group and say, hey, I have this deal. Is anybody interested in, in it? Like, There are so many different avenues you can go to get that deal done and get it funded. It's, it's ridiculous, Like, especially now with the times that we live in and social media and all the groups and everything. Everything is so out there in the open. You, you don't have any excuses now because the money is there. And if you have a good deal, it'll come. I love that. I love the fact that, and that really goes back to the whole money is fake thing. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> people have tons of money. There are people out there who have tons of money and they're trying to get rid of it. They're basically yep. trying to find anywhere to put it. So I, th- I think that's super impactful. And what you said there about your ability to network and sell. So let's, let's pivot a little bit to your sales and negotiations training that you do. And I know you do a lot of speaking and things like that. So how did that business come about and what's some of the big things you're seeing that you're having to teach people? Great question. Uh, th- this business, uh, it came about because I genuinely enjoy helping people. That is like, honestly, at the root of everything that I do, I, I like to deliver value. I like to help. And I have found when I was buying houses and I was actually going into these properties and solving these sellers problems, like I was very, very good at connecting with people. And ultimately the sales training company stemmed from that desire to help can be magnified if I can help more people help more people. So now I just coach and train companies that go out and buy houses and buy investment properties because I can scale basically myself helping people through helping these companies. And so that's really how the company came about. It was it was a ton of experience that I had over 3 years of buying properties accumulated into man, I got to teach some other people how to do this at a high level because I had a very high closing ratio. So, you know, I was, I was closing a lot of the leads that I was going on, um, more than anybody else in the industry. And I had to share the things that were making it successful. And so that's what, that's what I do. You know, my course is just basically all the stuff that I've done over the last three years that I've found that works. And your second question was, what are you finding yourself coaching people the most? And the answer to that is empathy. I think what's missing in today's society, I think what's missing from a lot of great, from, from people being good people or good salespeople to becoming great salespeople is empathy. And empathy is, some people misunderstand the definition. Empathy is not feeling sorry for somebody else. Empathy is asking, being able to ask great questions to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and understand what's going to motivate them to take action and what is going to motivate them, whether it's distress that they're in or some scenario that they want to get to, but putting yourself in their shoes through great questions and then pivoting and being able to solve their unique problem. Um, and and that's, that's a key word there is unique. Every single seller, every single sales situation that you're in has to be looked at through a unique lens. And the use of empathy is is critical. And I think some people think that there's, you know, some one size fits all or hey, in real estate, 
you just got to go in and just make an offer and hope they accept it. Like, that's not what you do. Like you, you have to sit down and understand what's going to motivate this person to even sell the property. What's going to motivate them to, to take action today? Are they going to take action? And then you, you go from there. So, you know, and I, I can make a case that I think what's wrong with, you know, I think what's going on in America right now is also a lack of empathy. Like people just don't have the ability to sit down with each other anymore and talk talk through, hear somebody else's perspective. It's just, uh, it's, it's a sad thing. And I think in the sales world, empathy is probably the biggest piece of the puzzle that's, that's missing. So why do you think that's missing? I mean, what, how do we get here? I think that's missing the traditional sales. I mean, salespeople get a bad rap. I mean, it, it's no secret that, you know, when, when somebody has salesperson on their business card, there's, it makes people feel a certain kind of way, you know, and people, they, they don't want to be called salespeople, but Ultimately, it's a it's a good title to have if you're great at your job because it means that you know how to solve problems and get things done and help. And I think we got here because antiquated models of sales includes, you know, asking a few questions and then trying to trying to get you into a product or a, a service and then tr- trying to close you, then trying to handle your objections, then trying to chase you down to try and close you. And it's been, it's, it's off put society from, and, and made society wary of, of salespeople. And I think that model has been, been taught for a little while now. And the, the greats are, are not following that model. The great salespeople are uncovering, you know, potential objections before they even come up through asking great questions. And, and the greats are, um, you know, the close is easy because they've, they've asked all the right questions and, closing the deal is actually now the other person's idea. It's not the salesperson's because they were able to, you know, flip the script and make their, make this the other person's idea, make their idea. The other person think that their idea is theirs. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's the, it's now the, the prospect's decision to close and not yours because you're, you're able to become, you're, you're such a good salesperson. Yeah. It's the, it's the prospect asking, how do we move forward with it? 100%. Yep. Because you've connected on another level and you've helped them understand the value of whatever it is that you're bringing to the table. In this case, you know, solving a problem for or distressed real estate need. Yeah, it's interesting what you said about earlier about, you know, making money and then reinvesting it into yourself and, and making yourself more valuable. I think that's something that's so overlooked, making yourself more valuable to people, to society. And could you imagine if everybody just worked on their empathy skills, how much more valuable everybody would be to each other? I mean, I, I think we'd have a lot less divisiveness in the world if everybody had a little bit more empathy. Yeah. I tell people all the trainings, all the trainings corporations are paying for and all the, just everything can be summarized in the one sentence. Don't be an ass. Yeah. Like, just, just, just be kind True. to each other. True. You know how much money we could save if everybody just agreed, like, I'm not going to be an asshole anymore. But, and, and, and the, the other piece of that is like, I agree 100%. And the other piece is it's okay to have a different opinion. You know, it's okay yeah. if you don't agree on everything. I think, you know, that's the other part of this puzzle is, you know, don't be an ass, but also acknowledge that somebody else can look at a situation and believe something different. And that's perfectly okay. We can coincide and live a great life just because we don't agree on every little issue. It doesn't matter. And when you have lack, when you don't have empathy, you know, when somebody doesn't agree with you and they're sitting across from the table, immediately there's this, you know, like we, we are on opposing sides. And, you know, I, I wish we could get away from that. It's, it's kind of rampant in society that, you know, you're either on the left or the right and there's, there's no middle ground, but you know, me personally, and I know we don't want to get political, but 
you know, I, I sit, I sit on the edge of the coin on most issues, you know, fiscally I'm conservative, socially I'm liberal. Like I, I see both sides of the coin on a lot of stuff. And it's, it's sad that people can't understand that there's, there's, there's multiple perspectives on issues, but it doesn't mean that we can't live um, in harmony with each other. Yeah. It's like, how dare you have right? the audacity to not see life exactly the way I have seen life. Yeah. It's like what, think about how stupid that concept is. It's, it's incredible. It, it, and you know, like instead of sitting down and just saying like, I'd, I'd love to sit down and hear your perspective on why you think that it is the way it is. And that's perfectly fine to sit down and have that conversation, but nobody wants to do that. They just want to hop on social media and just go off. And it's just, I don't know. It's just not the way that I think we're going to make progress. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, is what we, we, we could have a three hour podcast on that topic. Yeah, just, we, could. we could. Again, people remember, don't be an asshole. People. Um, well, yeah. yeah. When, when you're about to say something douchey on Twitter, don't be an asshole. Just tell yourself that. Again, I want to circle back to something else you said earlier that I think is super important. I want to make sure we touch on. You said make money, keep money, multiply money. How would you break those down more in, in, a, in a more tangible, uh, action actionable way? Um, just some maybe some tips and tricks for people to help them think through like how to make more money, how to keep more money, sure. and how to multiply their money. Yeah. A phenomenal question, man. You're asking some great questions, by the way. Very deep. I, I mean, great questions. And how to make money, how to keep money, how to multiply money. Those are the three, the three steps. And you have to figure out the, 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 you can't multiply it. If you don't know how to make it, you don't know how to keep it. So people who want to skip to step three, uh -uh. you got to go back to step one, how to make money. You have to figure out how to make more money. And when I say invest in yourself, that's what I mean by that. Like you have to buy, get into mastermind groups. You have to buy courses. You have to become smarter so that you can make more money. And you don't necessarily have to quit your W-2 job to become an entrepreneur. Like you can figure out ways to make more money in your current position. Like look at your current role. What else can you be doing to make more money? Is it, it and it may be a side hustle. You know, I don't know what it is. I don't know what your situation is. It, and it might be that you need to start a little side hustle, but it might be that you can just do more within your current position. You may be, you know, within you may be working as a, an employee within sort of an entrepreneurial organization and there's opportunities to make more money. You know, what are you doing with, you know, most people have a nine to five. What are you doing with your five to nine? What are you doing with your, your after hours? Are you actually spending your time trying to become better? So that's step one is, is look, look at your, what you have a surplus of, whether it's time and energy and, and figure out how to make more. And then you got to pay yourself first. So my biggest thing a lot of people are, you know, they're buying liabilities or they're spending their money before they they pay themselves. I think at least 10% of your money, you should not touch. At least 10% of the money you earn, you should not be touching. If, if, and if you can afford to, to do more, do more. Um, that money should go into an account that you can't touch. And when you, when you build up that account enough to where then it's substantial, um, and I'm not talking like five or $10,000, like people come to me and say, Hey, I have 5,000. I'm ready to invest. Like, no, put that back into yourself and go make more first. Um, and then once you keep enough and you have a little nest egg, then you have enough to now go out and get that money to work for you. And that's where you get to the multiply money phase. And when you can go out and look at money, then we talked earlier about looking at money differently, like look at it as an employee. Each dollar is an employee that will work for you. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It doesn't take holidays, no sick days, doesn't call off, doesn't show up late. It is working for you. And when you can get that money working for you to make more of it 
and the money makes babies and then those babies make babies. Now you're multiplying money and that's what the, that's what the wealthy people are doing. Um, is is multiplying it and and again you know i talked about different vehicles i'm not going to keep shoving real estate down everybody's throat it's just the vehicle that i use to multiply but if you want to achieve wealth freedom prosperity you are going to have to figure out those three uh those three things how to make it how to keep it and how to multiply it yeah you basically just have to create you know a, a progression that just 10x's i mean we've 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 learned about how uh, coronavirus spreads, you know, you spread it to five people and then they spread it to five people and then they spread it to five people. And it's just this exponential increase, uh-huh. you know, do that with some sort of asset, do that with some sort of income stream, sure. whatever that may be. So, you know, that's, I mean, again, we could, we could pick apart those three pieces in the make, keep and, and multiply and have a podcast for each of them on their own. Uh, yeah. unfortunately we don't have the time for that. Let's, let's do uh, it. I'll, I'll, I'll block my <laughs> afternoon, man. Let's just, yeah, well, well <laughs> we're probably better off making a series. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, if we get so, some good, fee- if we get some good feedback, we'll, we'll do another one. Let's just see how this one goes with your listeners. Huh? Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's leave it open. Hey, everybody holler at us. Um, so we're, we're coming up on time and I've really enjoyed the conversation. And yeah. like I said, we could talk for hours, but I want to, you know, bring it all together into a nice little bow because there's a question I always ask folks, folks. And that question is, if you could go back to 18 year old Chad King, okay, wide eyed, bushy tailed, all excited about life. The world is your oyster. Um, what would you, what would you tell yourself knowing everything that you know about yourself and in general now? Um, what would you, what would you say? What's one piece of advice? 18 year old Chad King. The problem is 18 year old Chad King was so damn stubborn. I don't know if he'd listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, quit wasting time. I wasted too much time, man. I look back and you know, I'm living, I'm, I'm grateful for everything that I have now. And I'm, I, you know, every, every decision I made has put me in the position that I am now. So you got to look at it like life happens for you, not to you. And that's how I look at it. Uh, but I look back and realize that from probably 18 to 20, to, I was really just, I was wasting a lot of time and I could be a lot further than I am now. Had I started looking at time differently and do, we could do a whole nother podcast on time too. And, and it, it's, it's the thing that you just can't get more of. And it's the thing that, oh gosh, it, once it's gone, it doesn't come back and you can't stop it. You can't get more of it. It's crazy. It's crazy when you start looking at it. And when you start scrutinizing how you're spending your time, with the notion that you are basically have this hourglass that's running out. The sand is falling every day. A little pebble of sand falls and it does not go back in that hourglass, man. It's, it's, it's inevitable. It's coming for all of us. And it doesn't matter when you wake up, you could, it doesn't matter if you're 50 years old and you read rich dad, poor dad, and you want to get out of your W2, like you got to go now because the clock's running out. So it doesn't matter when you start, when you get the bug, when the switch flips, uh, the clock is ticking. And I would tell my 18 year old self, I would try and uh, knock some sense into that kid and say, Hey, dude, you need to get serious because time's running out. And when you have that sense of urgency, uh, in life, uh, you're very dangerous when you're operating with that sense of urgency. Uh, you can do some incredible things. So, yeah, it's so, it's so interesting. I love what you said about, you know, the value of time. Think about how much we as human beings obsess over our money. And that's a renewable resource. Yep. You can, you can always go make more money. Go Uber. Go pick up a, another shift at a, mm-hmm. at a restaurant if you're working at a restaurant. But man, once that time is gone, it's the only thing that you will never get back. Yep. 
And, yep. and imagine if we obsessed over our time as much as we obsess over our money. And I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's easily, that's my biggest thing. And I, I, I try not to waste a single minute because every second counts. Whether it's, you know, and, and I don't want you to think, I don't want your listeners to think I'm some, I'm some freaking workaholic. Like I, you know, I enjoy playing golf. I enjoy, you know, time with my wife, but I, I don't, I don't spend any time. I really don't waste any of it. Like if I'm, if I'm going to spend time with my wife, I'm going to be 100% there with her. Right. If I'm going to go play golf, I'm going to be 100% there doing it. And, uh, I think people are sort of living a little distracted, um, due to the, mobility of these devices that we're all carrying around and uh you know some people aren't when they when they do utilize their time they're also doing other things and making sure i just want to make sure your listeners know that it's it's about having a balance and then being 100 percent there for anything that you're doing 100 percent. i love that i love that that was damn good advice uh i don't know if anybody's talked about time i mean i think this is episode like 87 or something i'm trying to yeah. think if anybody's mentioned that but if they have sorry uh, <laughs> uh, well here, you know, again, we're coming up on time, so we need to wrap up the podcast, but I always want to give you the opportunity to, you know, shameless plug. How can people get a hold of you? How can they hire you for your services? Like where can they find you? Social media, websites, et cetera. Let sure. people know. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, I'm on, I'm on Facebook at Chad King. Um, I'm on Instagram at Mr. Chad King, all one word, MR and then Chad King. Um, I'm always dropping content. My, my company, my sales training company is King Acquisitions. Um, you can find it on Facebook, King Acquisition Sales Training. Uh, my other company is, is Titan Capital Group. But if you follow me on Facebook and Instagram, you'll see links to all my stuff. Uh, Mr. Chad King on Instagram and then just Chad King on Facebook. Awesome. Awesome. And we'll have all that information in the show description after your bio and all that good stuff. So people can, you know, just click in the, in the podcast app or Spotify or wherever they're listening to this. Um, but Chad, it was a pleasure. I'm glad you came on. Thank you. Oh man. Awesome conversation. Thanks for having me. Um, hope, hope I was able to deliver a little bit of value to your listeners. No, I think this was awesome. I I really do. And for everybody listening, as always info at mmcip.co, if you want to email us millennial dash manhood.com, if you want to go to the website, uh, you can, you know, find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, et cetera. If you've got people you want us to interview, feel free to reach out. Uh, if you have constructive criticism, keyword is always constructive. Don't just complain. You got to offer a solution. Okay. Feel free to email us on that front as well. But outside of that, we uh, look forward to talking to you guys again soon.